0: Hey, well, greetings, uh, Park End, and thanks once again for uh, having me speak for you in this way. And, I, I, you know, I do apologize. It's not the way that we would like to do it. I can't wait to be able to come over uh, very soon and for you to come here, you know, as churches begin to meet again and to get to know you. And we're so grateful for our, like, fellowship and friendship in the gospel of Jesus Christ at the moment. We were so encouraged and excited to see of the communion in the car park that I think you'll have launched yesterday, if you're watching this on Sunday. And we do pray that it's gone very well, and it's been a real uh, powerful witness to the whole community in offering Jesus Christ. So today, we're going to be looking at that uh, very famous story of where Jesus uh, faced off against the devil, and it's Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. And children if, and young people, like if you're watching this, I, like, I'm like i so glad that you are. I think you're going to love this. right? So stick with me. If you're going to color things, there's going to be a lot of like, things that you could possibly color in from what we'll be saying and thinking about uh, today. Jesus. Let's start here. It's always good to start with Jesus. Let's start with Jesus. Jesus. Uh, when we speak about Jesus... We mean, of course, the eternal and everlasting Son of God the Father, uh, who has lived through infinite ages and who created the universe. And then uh, very recently came down into Bethlehem and became our brother, like your brother and mine. Now, given his identity, of course, like who he is, uh, there's little surprise that you know the horizon of what he came down to do would be gigantic. Uh, nothing less than changing everything forever. Like anything less would have been beneath him and that would would have been a waste of his time. Jesus uh, came down as our brother to save us and to help us, to lift us up and to make us sons and daughters of his own almighty father. Now, what's the first order of business in that way? So we think, what's the first thing that he's going to do? Where would he begin The first thing that he would do was, of course, going down into the Jordan River, putting his arms around people like you and me that have made mistakes and saying, it's all right, I've got you, I'll take responsibility for it all. And then he went off into the desert. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. The first item... On his to do list was to take the fight to the devil, like to go to where he was and to face off against him. Now, I don't know if you're anything like me, it's probably it maybe just the Northern Irish actually, but we quite like fights. I probably shouldn't publicly admit to that. But in Northern Ireland on the 12th of July, uh, growing up, there was always a sort of like this mock fight set up every year between. Uh, somebody dressed as William of Orange and somebody uh, dressed as King uh, James and they would sort of like fight off with swords and things then obviously William would always win and then James would be like humiliated and beaten and there are all kinds of fights that happen in the world Um, probably shouldn't admit to like in boxing either and yet there have been some amazing like boxing uh, matches we might think of you know Rumble in the Jungle Thriller in Manila or you know Wilder Fury more recently and in school growing up often uh, people would just fight <laughs> they didn't have anything against each other they just wanted to fight and people just wanted to watch it and to see it uh, what was happening this fight like this battle between Jesus and the devil now as soon as we like say that word the devil you know sometimes people can get a bit um you know sort of like Twitchy in a way that like, what? You know, you still believe in the devil? Like, are you, what century are you living in? This is the 21st century. As if, like, that has, you know, because you know, we always say, yeah, we all know that it's the 21st century. That doesn't have any bearing on anything. What's that? <laughs> that doesn't change anything at all. Um, but we can sort of think, like, to, to think that there is something out there like this is, you know, somehow uh, small minded or just something of the past that should have been, you know, got rid of a long time ago. Now, the thing is that if the devil was just a figure in medieval, say, European folklore, uh, this sort of like baddie that you know some small tribes maybe in Britain or in Europe believed in, it would be easier to kind of you know just get rid of him and sweep him under the carpet and you know consign him to the dusts of history. That would be relatively easy. But that's just not the case. Belief. In the reality of the devil as a real and malevolent being is not like just something that the medieval Europeans believed in in the Middle Ages. Rather, um, there have been like accounts, ideas, rumors, whispers about this dark shadow all across the world in civilizations and cultures. All across the world in which people have lived in fear of some terrible monster. Now, Of course, in films, you know, you see it in films, there's, there's nearly always a baddie in a film. And yet there's something like that stands behind all those baddies, dark and malevolent, sinister. Um, there. The devil, in all his guises and forms, is present in nearly every culture and religion. And there's remarkable, like features of continuity. like the idea of this ancient talking dragon that I don't know of many that I've sort of seen you know, in zoos, and yet that idea that there's something out there like that in ancient cultures around the world. One writer said this. Legends of a destructive monster are to be found all over the world. The thought underlying them all is that the monster is like beyond normal nature and hostile to mankind. So, can we see like that there's rumors and whispers all across the world? He can't be discounted as easily as some might think. And it's just worth saying you know, that those that did sort of try to discount him in the last or two centuries were generally those that lived very much in the safety and security of places that the church had built up. And they didn't say those things like in other places where his activity and his like influence would have been much more obvious, but they did it from the security of ivory towers in Christian institutions. Now, some have denied him, we've said... Others have sort of like deified him and like tried to worship him. Others have said, no, it's not a real thing at all, but it's just like us in ourselves and what's wrong with us. So you may remember that thing in Calvin and Hobbes. You know, Calvin said, do you believe in the devil, a supreme evil being dedicated to the temptation, corruption and destruction of man? To which Hobbes said, I'm not sure man needs any help. (laughs) And you sort of think, yeah, that's quite, I, I get what you're saying in that, but if we're to sort of try and penetrate behind all these myths and urban legends and get to the bottom of things, where do you have to go to really find out what's going on? Well, as with all things, we go to Jesus and we listen to Jesus and what he has to say. And in the Bible, he gives us the authorized biography, we might say, of the devil and gives us the account of his origin, his career. And his like psychology—you know what what makes him tick, what makes him the way that he is. So let me uh, now we can't do them all, but let me just do one or two, like just to sort of set the scene, just so as we get a little bit more of a picture. John chapter eight and uh, verse forty-four. This is what Jesus says: "You belong to your father." So speaking to the Jewish religious leaders, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So Jesus understood the devil as being a liar. Uh, You couldn't trust anything that he would say, any promises that he would make. You couldn't bank on any of it. He would never like say really what he thought and what was really going on within his mind. The story of where that all unfolded, of course, took place at the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 3, and I hope you've read it before and like thought about what's happening in that incredible account of where everything went wrong uh, with the world and ex- the explanation of why it is the way it is at the moment. Um, our first parents were tempted by that ancient serpent, the devil, who deceived them. And he arranged for their deaths and the death of all their children to come. So he is the original liar and murderer. Now, what about his origins then? So Jesus, like, he, he's not like this eternal being and an equal and opposite of the living God, who's the Father, Son, and Spirit. No, no, not at all. He's a creature. A a very powerful and wise and beautiful creature, but a creature that had a beginning and before that had not lived. Um, And that, like very early in his career, he went wrong. He made good and went wrong by his own choice. Now, the prophets Isaiah and Ezekiel, we can't sort of follow it all, but Isaiah in chapter 14 and Ezekiel in chapter 28... Like analyze the way that he thinks and his mindset in great detail, so that we're able to say, you know, what what drives and what is it exactly? He explains it uh, that he turned away uh, from the original reason that he was made and for what like his purpose and his job description. He became proud. He sort of looked in the mirror and then he looked again and he liked what he saw. And he became obsessed with his own splendor and wisdom and beauty and fell in love with himself. And then, like, began to think that what he had been given wasn't enough. He was a, the center of his own mind and universe, and he wanted, like, to climb up and to take the throne of the universe, like, to sort of be out there where he already felt he was within his own mind and heart. So what is it that makes him tick then? Well, it's pride, selfishness, and self-love. He's full of himself. He's utterly convinced that the way to happiness and fulfillment is by getting what he wants. No matter what it costs anybody else, he's in love with himself and thinks that he's owed it. Um, now, it was that thinking and mindset that he opened the door with uh, to our first parents, and they decided to walk through it with him. Now, can we begin to sort of start to see in that way why the devil in the Bible is called the God of this age? That the whole world is under his control, now, it's not in that sort of like, you know, crude sense, you know, in some other religions where like, you know, he sort of comes along and like whispers in everybody's shoulder and things like that. No, it's not that. It's that his mindset, the, what makes him tick is just the way that the world all around us and the grain of our what we in our own minds and hearts think is exactly the same. That's, it's quite a scary thing, isn't it? Like to think that and to hear that, that he doesn't have to you know, sort of like whisper in our ear. No, the way that we normally think by ourselves and the way that the world works all around us is just going the exactly same direction as he is going. He's not taking people anywhere that they don't want to themselves go. They're going the same direction together. And worst of all, perhaps worst of all, like he's blinded our minds, like this dark shadow, dark clouds, you know, uh, growing up in Northern Ireland, I was used to the cold and the damp and the wet of summer. <laughs> and I knew a little bit about the winter as well. And the, often, you know, the clouds would sort of like cover the, the sun. And you would go out in a day and you think, oh, you know, it's a miserable day. And it's so kind of dark and oppressive down below. The sun was still there up above, shining. Sometimes in an airplane, you would kind of go up and you would remember that the sun is still there. The devil has very much done that. Like, covered over, obscured the glory and the light and the love and power of the real God. So that many people think that the real God up there is like bad or that he doesn't exist at all or that he's out to get them. That's all the devil's work and it's a terrible thing which he has done. When we think about it seriously, we begin to think, oh no, you know, the way that my mind works, the way that the world works. Is so much the same as his way. That we start to think, oh no, you know, I don't need to like go into Ouija boards or something like that to fall under his power. No. The way that my my mind works is already under his control. I need to be set free. I need help from outside myself. I need a savior, someone who can break the cycles that I just get myself into again and again and cannot get myself out of with all that i do we need a savior matthew chapter 4 verse 1 jesus was led by the spirit into the desert isn't it awesome our champion arises and goes out to fight for us How does it make you feel? You know, like all those other fights that we spoke about, boxing matches and things on the 12th of July, it doesn't really impact you or I in any significant way. But this battle that Jesus fought when he faced off against the devil was for you and was for me to set you free, to fight on your behalf. Isn't that awesome? Can we imagine then like something of the glory and the majesty like of this standoff and this battle like greater than any other Jesus going out to fight on our behalf against an enemy that we just could not defeat one old hymn writer put it like this you know he said oh loving wisdom of our god when all was sin and shame a second adam to the fight and to the rescue came. Now, let's see then how this fight uh, unfolded uh, and like contrast it with how the, like, the first fight or the first encounter of our parents, Adam and Eve, with Satan in the Garden of Eden, right at the very beginning. The first contrast, okay, between the two is where they took place. Now, what do we mean by that? Well, the first one is the first round of the battle, Adam and Eve... We might say it was a home game. Let's put it like that. It was a home game, okay? Because it took place in the beauty of the garden of God, of Eden, paradise, in which everything had been provided. The party had been thrown by the Lord Jesus. The table had been laid. It was like a home game. It was a home advantage in every sense. The second round where Jesus goes to fight the devil is not a home game, but an away game. What we mean by that is this: that he goes into enemy territory. Uh, he was tired, he was hungry, he was thirsty, he was under great pressure. In the Bible, you'll probably know that like the, the desert is like the, the place where the devil and other like dark things like to spend time and to hang out why early Christians like often went there to sort of again like take the fight to the devil and that's where Jesus went so he like he had every possible disadvantage and all the advantage was on the devil's side so there's that contrast in the first and the second rounds of the battle like where the second is like how the first round of the battle it wasn't a difficult temptation at all let's be honest let's be really straightforward and honest about this um It shouldn't have been that difficult to resist the temptation to eat one thing which they had been told not to eat when there was loads and loads of other food all around them. That was easy. Um, Like just to not eat one thing at a banquet to show that you trust and love somebody was an easy thing to overcome. I, I, when I was growing up in Northern Ireland, sorry, don't judge me for this, because when I was a teenager, I used to like—I wanted to try and catch a rabbit. I didn't want to hurt it, and I wanted to keep it as a pet. And I sort of lived on a farm, and I—I I got like a trap. But it was a humane one, now, so don't mishear me. It was a humane one, and I—I I put it in a field, and then it was like a cage, and then the rabbit would go inside. And I put carrots inside, and then the rabbit would go inside, and then it would get caught inside the cage. And I was going to bring it home and keep it, and like look, look after, of course. Um now. I put it out and it was there like for, you know, day after day after day. And then I, in the middle of the field, and I just kept to check on it and no rabbit ever came. And then after a few days, I asked my dad, and I was like, why is it that no rabbit has come into my trap? And then he said, it may have something to do with the fact that you've put these like few little carrots in the midst of this vast field that's full of grass everywhere. There is no incentive to eat the carrots in this trap. Do you see what I'm saying? Our first parents have been given everything. It was an easy temptation to avoid not to eat that one thing that they have been asked not to eat. And yet, what did our first father do? You know, we can see it. It's almost like, you know, the children on a bicycle. When our, when our youngest boy goes on the bicycle, I'm watching him thinking, oh no, this is going to end badly. And as our first uh, parents, you know, talk to the devil, we see it. We're like, oh no, this is going to end badly very, very quickly. And it did they gave in to that one easy temptation to have avoided. Let's contrast that with the second round of the battle as Jesus goes to fight for us against the devil. Um, That couldn't have been more difficult. There was not one, but three temptations. And not easy ones, but very difficult ones in which two worlds collided, two different ways of thinking about the world and everything came together. Just say what those were. So what was the first one? Well, the first temptation was in verse three. If you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. What was the devil saying there? Well, you know, it was, we might just paraphrase it as, Nike, just do it. That's what he was effectively saying. He was just saying that, you know, you're very hungry at the moment. Jesus. And it's, uh, you don't have to be. There's a very simple solution to all of this. You have all the power in the universe and you have the infinite capacity to do what you want to do. Just do it. Just make something for yourself and eat it and enjoy it. Don't go hungry. Um, have what you want. Very simple, but very, very profound and very, very powerful in which like, we see all of the, like the devil's mindset and what makes him tick. Just serve yourself. Do whatever makes you happy. Get, just get whatever you want to get. That's his mindset. Now, Jesus is utterly different to that. Look what he said in verse four. It's written, man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. For him... For Jesus, real life and fulfillment is not like by selfishness or getting what we want, but rather by forgetting ourselves, losing our life, and being caught up into the will and the life and the glory of his almighty Father. Jesus would make bread to feed others that were hungry, but he never made it for himself when he was hungry. He would serve others, but he wouldn't serve himself in that way. Second uh, temptation is in verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it's written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. The devil... um, New Psalm 91 was quoting from it. So even the devil knows that the Psalms are about Jesus and is like fully aware of that and that the Old Testament was about Jesus in that way. And he tried to twist like the meaning of what was said in the ancient Psalms. And what was he saying? I suppose I give like the first one was like, just do it. The second one is, um, it's like a PR stunt to become a celebrity. So he's saying, if you want people to follow you and you want to be like the most famous man and person ever in all the world, just do a big publicity stunt. And all the headlines of the world will be talking about it by the morning and you will have like all the love and adoration as like an international sensation. Uh, Very, very quickly. You'll be the most famous uh, person in all the world. Now again, Jesus rejected that way of thinking, like that scheme. He wouldn't prove who he was in this way and like wouldn't work out and show who he was by doing that, but by something else that is to come. And then thirdly and finally, like Satan sort of threw off all subtly at this point point. And in verse 8, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Final temptation. The first had been just do it. The second had been like a, a publicity stunt. The third one was like a coalition government. Let's go into a coalition. Uh, the devil said, if you will like, just bow down, worship me, I'll give you what I've already got. All the world is under my control and power. We can share it together. There's no reason for us to kind of go up against each other. Let's just enter into a a partnership or a coalition and we can do it together. There's no need for uh, these things to get nasty. Again, Jesus resisted that way of thinking. It wasn't worthy of him. His way was another way, a different way, and a better way. So, we've seen like, the, see, there's like a contrast between the first uh, round of the battle in the Garden of Eden and the second round of the battle, Jesus in the desert, between like where it took place and also how it took place. And there's another sort of third contrast who took part? This is really sweet. In the first round of the battle, our first father Adam let his bride Eve do all the talking and reasoning with the devil. And he just stood out, he stood back. And when you read the story at the start, you always sort of imagine that he was somewhere else. Of course he wasn't, he was right there. But he was probably thinking about football or rugby or beer or something. You know, those kind of things that men like fill their minds with. His mind was on other things, match of the day. And he allowed his wife like to deal with the, the ancient serpent, the devil. Well, he was... Mind away with the fairies, thinking about something else. In the second round of the battle, the second man, Jesus, went into the desert all alone for you and for me. He didn't ask his disciples to come with him. He hadn't even called his disciples at this point. What were they doing? They were all just fishing and just kind of getting on with life and things, probably blissfully unaware of all that was happening. No, all that he had come to do he would do for his church and for his bride alone and by himself without her help or without your help or without my help. And what happened? Matthew chapter 4 verse 11, Jesus said to him, away from me, sorry, verse 10, away from me, Satan, for it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. In this final round of the battle. The ancient enemy of our race realized that he had met his match. Jesus triumphed and overcame by trusting his father and quoting the words of scripture. And as we draw to a close, then let's tie things together. Our aim hasn't been that you would go away from this believing in the devil if you didn't previously believe in him or knowing more about the devil if you didn't know so much about him before. No, the reason that we do this is to say and to show that Jesus loves you. He thought that it was worth fighting for you against this great and terrible enemy so that he might set you free. That is his love for you. This wasn't the last time. It wasn't the first time, of course, that they had met. It wouldn't be the last time either. Luke, in his account, says that when the devil had finished all these temptations, he left him until an opportune time. It was a strange thing, you know, this intersection in the road where the devil would meet his maker, would meet his creator, Jesus. And they were traveling different ways. The devil was trying, as always, to climb up take the throne of power. Where was Jesus going in this crossroads in the road? He was not climbing up. Where was he going? He was going down. They met at a parting in the way, Satan rising, Jesus coming down. He would go much further down than that down as far as he needed to go to lift you and I up again and to save us from our sins and to set us free from the devil's power. You know, in those in all those kind of films, you know, where the goody and the baddie have a standoff, the goody always escapes at the last minute, don't they? You know, it sort of seems as if they're going to die. And then it's like saved in the last reel by the US cavalry. And in fact, there was one story, I love this one, there was one story in which, the writer had got his hero into so many like impossible scrapes that he couldn't even himself think of a way out for the hero of him avoiding death. Until like, one of his colleagues, like another uh, writer, suggested that the way to do it was just by simply saying, with one mighty leap, Jack broke free. So that was how he escaped. Jesus didn't escape death. Jesus went down into death for you and for me. He went down upon the cross of Calvary with blood and sweat and tears for you and for me. He made himself nothing. He went down as far as you can go. And then on the third day, having paid the price for your sins and mine, he walked out of his own grave alive forever and ever. He has given everything for you Jesus loves you more than his own life. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil, was to set you free, to allow you and me to live with him, his same kind of life forever. This week, I pray that you would enter into more and more fullness of what Jesus wants to offer you and to allow you to share with him. This week, live a life of sacrifice, of selflessness, of service towards your church family and those around you and live in the glorious freedom that Jesus has bought for you at so great a price, knowing that he loves you and will be with you forever. Thank you so much for watching. May the Lord bless you as you go out into this coming week and may you experience and know his richest blessing and care and freedom at this time. And therefore, to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, be ascribed all the glory, all the honor, all the majesty, and all the power, now and forever. Amen.